Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, your chance to get at least one proven and practical idea to help your business be more successful and sustainable. We're going to take a little bit different tact today with the podcast. We're going to start something I've not done before. Instead of exploring how a proven leader becomes a proven leader, we're going to ask this individual and others to weigh in on specific topics and to help you get more ideas about how to handle challenging situations in management and leadership. And today's topic is all about performance appraisal and performance development of of talent. And so I could think of nobody better to have on this first version of this episode than the person who's joining us today. He is a great delegator. He may be the best delegator that I've ever been around. And part of it was because he's it can be admittedly lazy about certain things. And then and other part, it was it was all about because he knew it was the right thing to get the talent out of the person was to take things off of his plate. Oftentimes things he was good at and, and enjoyed doing, but put it on somebody else's, at least temporarily, so that they could, if you will, swim in the deep end of the pool and figure out if they could and how they should and possibly even become better at doing that particular task. And um I also know he's a relentless developer of talent. So with that in mind, help me welcome to the Ed Epley experience once again, Lance Tyson. Lance, good to have you with us. I appreciate it, Ed. Um, definitely the highlight of my week. Anytime I get to talk to you, and and I, I mean that sincerely, probably the best advice I get is, is from you. So, Well, we're excited to have you on with me. What's been going on in the, the Tyson group since uh, we spoke seven or so months ago? Well, I mean, I think number one, you're – Inside this pandemic, you've either been in a business that's done really well and, or you've been in a business that hasn't done really well. And we, we hit the trifecta at the Tyson Group because a bulk of our business is in pro sports and entertainment. And besides a New York City restaurant, I couldn't think of a worse business to be in than sports and entertainment. <laughs> so and we do sales training and consulting and coaching. And it, it's been rough. We've we put a lot of time and put a lot of blood in. And so have our customers. So. Yeah, I call it tumor boom syndrome. You know that that, that well your your business is either in the tumor or it's been a boom, and and most organizations haven't straddled the fence. You know, it's it's been pretty significant one way or the other. So, how have you managed this? What what was different about the way you operated the business to uh, address the pandemic? Well, you know, I I, I think number one from a they teach at the Naval Academy. Um, it's either ship or crew. Mm-hmm. Right. What's more important? And it's a, a, an argument as a leader you can get in all the time. And and we had a long conversation with our company. We said, look, in order to preserve this crew, we got to take care of the ship right now. And the ship is the number one most important thing. Like many companies, we had some layoffs in the beginning. Then we looked to really make sure we were 
giving as much time as we could with our customer base. And there were extended contracts and, and we were dealing with their situations in the moment from a coaching and a coaching standpoint. In some cases with some clients, we'd help them rack and stack their, their people to make decisions that they had to make and who they were going right. to with, with our opinion. The second thing is how to even sell in the pandemic. So, so I, I, I can't stand cliches, but we gave to it hurt. Um, with a lot of time and we had people that work multiple jobs and multiple hours, um, across three time zones. You talk about zoom fatigue. We got it because we have customers coast to coast and most of us were going seven to seven every day. Yeah. Did, did it change your business model going forward? Yeah, it, it, it did. Um, number one, we went from a primarily instructor led organization in person instructor led to actually more of a um, a business that was able to do consulting virtually. And I think the first and biggest one we had coming right out of the gate, we had, um, I was in New York City literally each week prior to when everything shut down. And we two weeks after that, we were starting an engagement with SeatGeek, which is like a tech company. Right. And that was supposed to, they were supposed to fly people in. And that first engagement all came online and it, fundamentally change your business for the better, because I, I still believe in the future, we'll do anywhere from 60 to 70% of our coaching from a virtually instructor led. And, and, and in ways it can be just as effective. Right. Um, it's smaller engagements. It's driven profitability drastically. I mean, I think one of my board members said, geez, you're, if you look at your fees, I mean, you're charging like a, you know, it could be like a New York city, uh, law firm in, right. in a good way, right? right. So it's re, you know we've been able to keep costs down that way. So, but we've had to add a lot of tech to it. Also, we had to get good at uh, LMSs, and we we have now become a content company, content creation around marketing, advertising, and getting our signature out there. In around also our learning too, we've had to really start to develop a lot of content. We always have, but way more than we have in the past. Um. And and through all this, you found time to write a book, another one. I did. I you know I I, I wrote a I wrote um a, a book called Igniting Sales EQ, and we've kind of we have a philosophy. If you're going to be in the training industry, much like you do, publish or perish, right? It adds adds a level. It's a you know it's a it's a three sixty business card with a lot of color, a lot of pictures. And I wrote a book on EQ because I just felt everybody is really struggling in sales around this concept of emotional quotient with all the stress and worry. You know, it, it's a short book. It's not even a long book. I mean, you probably blow it out uh, and half a plane ride to. To, from Columbus to Tech to Dallas, but but at the end of the day, and we wanted to test the waters with that kind of content too. What's a short a short form consumable look like? It right, did well. it did well. We I have another another bigger book coming out and uh, called Human to Human Prospecting. Okay, not sales right now is is human to human, not B to C or B to B. So yeah, we found some time. Um, but have a lot of good people around us too. And I'm not a writer. At the end of the day, I struggle with it. It's you know that's like. It's like keeping my garage clean. It's just a pain. <laughs> it's right. Well, now I'm I'm a little bit curious because when I think of emotional intelligence, uh, there's two parts to that. One is the ability to understand where other people's heads are and what are they saying, even if they don't verbalize it right or they don't say it correctly. I think you're great at that. And then there's caring about whether or not what they've said and and. Sometimes I, I, I think there are times you don't care what others say. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, 
there's two parts of that, right? Like I think number one, reading somebody is, well, let, let's start at the beginning. I think we, you and I have a, somebody we've spent a lot of time with over the years, a guy named Scott McGowan. He's the, the CEO of a, a pretty large um, play benefit firm. Right. And uh, he says all the time, your mind's like a bad neighborhood. Sometimes it's not good to be alone in it. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and then I follow this, this, um, this one doctor out of Australia, her name is Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And she talks a lot how we make excuses for bad headset or bad mindset. Right. Yeah, and, right. And, and I'm, and you can fix that stuff. So I think number one, like that, I come there first. Your ability to control your attitude under stress or pressure. Two, when we work with companies on negotiation in a complex sale, sometimes ignoring a, a comment or an objection is a perfectly good strategy. So really, like if I'm selling or coaching somebody to sell to a group, and it's a low-level decision maker that makes a comment or an objection. Eh, let's see if it comes again. I really don't care what they said. I'm not going to address. I'm not going to problem solve. So take a shot. But what did the what did the head person do? Did they respond to that? Yeah. So sometimes you, you can't care. It's not it's not that worth it. If it comes up a few more times, maybe care a little bit more. Maybe if it comes up persistently or consistently. Then then you care. But All right. Bold. I, I, I like the approach. I, I, I was, you know me, I, I challenge sometimes to be a bit controversial. So that's why I, I wanted the audience to get a sense of, you know, is, is emotional intelligence mean you always have to care about what the other person's talking about? Well, I, I, you know, here's the thing. I, you know, sometimes in business and sometimes in, in sales, empathy is not a great strategy. <laughs> like if you're selling a very high dollar product or service, do you really want your salespeople empathetic to, and sensitive to the price objection? You know, sales is creating an opportunity where one did not exist. There's going to be a rub and there's going to be friction. I think I think Dale Carnegie said it best. He didn't teach empathy. He taught sight lines. He said one of his principles is try to see things from the other person's point of view. That's not empathy. That's not empathy. So let's put it inside of COVID. I say at the beginning of COVID, you needed some really tactical empathy, right? Yeah. Like I think um, I think you're looking at that, but I, I think right now though, some some comments around COVID are smokescreen. No question. Right. Right. I mean, like, and I, is that me being skeptical? No, I think it's being real. Yeah. I think it's affected people differently. So. All right. Well, as always, uh, I, I know you're going to have an opinion about whatever it is you you're talking about or writing about. So I think the uh, tell us the title of the book one more time. So the the title of the book that we and it's available on Amazon, um, Igniting Sales EQ, that was out in September. OK. And um, then my first book, Away, uh, Selling's in a Way Game, is actually kind of exciting just uh, last year. Selling Power um, said it was a must read for 2020. So. Some good. good. Some stuff. Yeah. Good. Congratulations. That's neat. Well, let's talk about the delegation performance appraisal and performance improvement area that that I think you're so good at. Um, did you have somebody who, uh, as a boss, someone you interacted with that really was the, if you will, the genesis for how you try to develop talent and and do performance conversations? It's, it's a really thoughtful question. It's somebody I think about often. It's a guy named Sam Iorio. Um, he didn't, at a young age, he's probably the first boss that ever did everything he told me he was going to do. 
He told me he was going to make me a partner. He did it. He told me he was going to give me a lot of responsibility. He did it. And I think to him, it just didn't matter how old I was. It just, so, so, so I started to look at talent um, in a way that I, I don't care how old you are. I don't creed color demographic. Who cares at the end of the day? It could be, you know, if you, if you can get it done and you believe you can get it done. And then there's also a mantra in our company that um, and we have a, we have a pretty diverse culture. It's an interesting company to say the least, because it's this amalgamation of talent. Um, we have this, this ism that goes through the company is you'll figure it out. That's mm-hmm. usually my response. You, you'll figure it out. Um, and you said something earlier and I, you might've taught me this concept. The Prussians are known for developing great military leaders and, over the years, the Prussian Empire, and they would categorize um, military strategists in two different categories, smart and lazy. They would make field generals and hardworking, smarter, intelligent people. They'd be kind of the back room. I I would say I'm probably in the first one. I'm going to figure the fastest, quickest way to get something done. And like if you if you make decisions off of time, cost and quality. Usually time is, is my priority, the faster, quicker way. So if I can delegate something, but, but there is a difference for everybody. Listen, there's a huge difference between work distribution and, and delegation. They're two very different concepts. Yeah. So, yeah. And everybody yeah. has a tendency to put everything under delegation. I don't believe that either. Yeah. And just for the audience's benefit, um, the way we, Lance and I worked on this together. So work distribution is when you assign work to others with the intent of producing a result. And there's nothing in it for the person who does the work. It's just work and it's on their plate. So when we take things off of our plate and put it on somebody else's, sometimes there's no development, real development opportunity in it. But when we take something off of our plate and assign it to somebody else with the intent that it's going to improve them, that they will learn and grow and become more valuable to the organization, we would call that delegation. And, um, And therefore, there's an entirely different mindset for me as the boss when I delegate versus when I do work distribution. And and if Lance, you allow me, I just want to take that one step further. So when I do work distribution, it's who has the least amount on their plate, who can get it done the quickest. And sometimes it's just who makes eye contact with you at the wrong time. And you go, oh, I'm glad you're here. I'm going to put this on your plate. With delegation, I have to actually ask myself who would most benefit from doing this. And also, I have to be now prepared to do some coaching and live with some mistakes and some messiness and some sloppiness in some case when that person does that job because they probably aren't skilled at doing it because that's why we're giving it to them to learn. They need experience. They need repetitions. So, Lance, just additional thoughts as you heard me describe that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's you, you have to you have to. um you have to know what your people are capable with either decision making there. And, That's right. and, and sometimes you get people that are really good at stating the obvious. They're they're in the moment, but they're really stating the obvious. So they seem very capable. And I'm into I don't know about you, but I, I love that show Bar Rescue with John Taffer. Right. <laughs> I just love the show. And because what he does is he stress tests his talent. He sees how good they are, so he'll change concept and invite a bunch of people into a bar or a restaurant that he's trying to rescue and see how well the staff does. And I think you need to be stress testing people. Any, anybody can tell you they can do it. And you, you, know, you get these resumes these days. I mean, of course, it's on LinkedIn. It should be true, right? Their whole resume is 100% accurate every time. 
nobody's taught how to beef up what they actually do, are they? So like, I like to stress stress people. I, I like too. how capable they are, yeah. right? And, yeah. and go back to that EQ. How good is their EQ? How good are they under stress or pressure in the moment? How good are they reading people? I've hired a ton of people uh, over the years and still do from restaurants. It's one of the most stressful jobs ever is, is waitering or waitressing or serving. How good how good is that person in the moment under stress or pressure dealing with people making decisions? Um, has your philosophy about development of talent and performance conversations evolved much in the last 10 or 15 years, or is it pretty much the same as it was? Yeah, I, I think, it, especially in the last year, um, I'm a little bit more specific now with, with targets, KPIs. Here's the mark you have to hit. Um, I think over the years, if I failed anywhere, it's probably there. I, I, I've let it be. I've let too many things be interpretable. If okay. that's the word, right? Yeah, so yeah. I've gotten better. Yeah. yeah, too too subjective. This is what I'm looking for because it it focuses the resources more on the ex- expectation. I've always said that the the ability to hold somebody accountable is no better than your ability to set in clear terms the expectation and and so if you if you're not good at making clear what success or failure looks like then your ability to have the conversation that says you're either meeting or not meeting those expectations is really really difficult i heard seth godin i was listening to a and a podcast he was doing and he likened this to like if you're playing hockey do you you play much different a game of hockey on a pond that has no walls or right. boards right as opposed to how you play hockey with some boards i think too many times i've assigned things to people and delegate and very much what ed said if i'm delegating to develop talent and get in getting something done i i i didn't put the boards up soon enough yeah and and that that doesn't do the participant any good so. how how regular are your conversations with people about their performance? Is that uh, do you do that uh, quarterly, annually, uh, or informally all the time? What's the what's the model? Once again, I can't stand cliches, right? So I think you know, like when somebody says, "Oh, my door's always open," well, until it's closed, right? Yeah. What do you mean? Door's always open. Well, until it's closed, you can't have your door open all the time. So I don't like cliches. I I think if your person is surprised by feedback or coaching you give them, you're not doing it enough. So thus you get to a performance review. There should be no surprises. <laughs> they should, they should know. My, my son goes to the school that every two weeks they give feedback on grade point average. And if your grade point average is under 2.0, you can, there's an implication to not playing sports. Most of the, the, the kids that go there play two or three sports. And which is, which is interesting considering the fact most people don't get, most people get their feedback on their grades once a month or once a quarter. And this organization gives it every two weeks. I am more to that of getting feedback constantly. So I, I don't pick at every little thing. Right. Like I had a situation on Friday where one of my key VPs, she's the tendency to make herself the hero of everything as opposed to you, as opposed to being French and using the word we. Right. <laughs> and, and so so the tendency with her is people see right through it. I feel very like I have written today, like I have to give her that feedback because it is a blind spot for her. And and. To the point where other people are rolling their eyes when she says it. 
Yeah. Needs that feedback. So that's kind of coaching to change her language. It's going to be an awkward as hell conversation because she's not going to, it's, it's harder to coach attitude than anything else. Like that's like, and if you're not dealing with that in the moment, you're going to lose. Um, Say that again. It's harder to coach attitude than anything else. Am I right? Anything else. I can, we can fix most other things, but to coach somebody's attitude, you almost have, if somebody's showing a poor attitude or a poor display of citizenship, whatever it is, if you're not dealing with that in the moment, it's plausible, not deniability from there. Like you actually have to deal with it in the moment. And, and the second thing is the, the even harder than that one is to coach somebody's attitude that you got feedback from a secondary source. Because my mantra is internally, when somebody comes to me like, hey, certain social is a bad attitude, I'm like, what the hell did you do about it? So you want me to go to them to talk to them about the bad attitude they displayed to you? How's that going to work for me? How's that going to work? Like, come <laughs> on. Like, if you didn't have excuse language, guts to freaking deal with that in the moment – you're actually now as, as culpable as that person is. Right. So get out of my office. Um, the audience can now appreciate why I wanted you on here today to have this conversation. Where do most managers screw up in providing feedback to their people? Um, I think, I think when somebody is so far outside the lines because you haven't built the boards that now you're taking corrective action as opposed to coaching them. But the problem always comes back is when somebody has like really stepped outside the lines and it is so acknowledgeable to everybody else. And now you have to take corrective action. But if you if you wheel that back, the problem's the leader because they didn't set the foul lines. Right. right. You know, that, that's all it always. It's always the issue. Um, if If a manager doesn't like the performance of an individual, you're saying then that the manager needs to own that. That's something that they didn't do. Well, yeah. And and it's usually though, but it usually goes back to when the manager or the leader took responsibility of having that person on the team, because there's always one question that needs to be asked every single time, which is how do you want to be led? How do you want to be managed? And if you're not having that conversation to start off, and by the way, I'll play this all out for the audience. So you ask somebody that, you ask John or Jane that question, and they're going to go, well, I've never been asked that question before. And you go, well, what do you think? And they're going to come back and they're going to say, I certainly don't want to be micromanaged. Everybody says that. And then you as a leader, you would say something, well, what, what time explain to me, define for me micromanaging? And they would explain it like over your shoulder, over. Right. Okay. So then you as a leader would say, so when do you think are the times that I'm going to micromanage you? Right. Or it's going to feel like I'm micromanaging. They'll, they'll answer, and then then you'll say, "Okay, so obviously when we have conversations, we're going to have to be on the same page. So I got to give you feedback when I'm seeing something that's out of, out of sync." And the same thing with you. Is that fair? So it's it's always in that I wouldn't call it a verbal contract. It's always in setting the conditions that are going to exist inside that relationship. That's the biggest mistake made, as far as I can see. I think that's a wonderful piece of advice and, and something that if I ever manage people again, which I hopefully never will, I would be willing to follow. Um, do you think giving feedback to salespeople is different than giving feedback to other people who work for us? No. And I, I, but I think if, you're, if, you, if I know your audience a little bit, 
you probably think um, a lot of you might handle salespeople as like this golden goose or you have this person, you don't want to mess with them. Um, like you don't want to disturb the force. Right. And, and I, I don't believe salespeople are born. I think they're built. But but I think um, the concept of artificial harmony that I see with some business owners and some leaders that they don't want to mess with that. So they, they kind of maybe aren't as direct because I might not be able to find this person again. Right. So no, if, if you're doing things right. Um, and like we're dealing with a manufacturing firm right now, right. Where the average age of, um, and we're dealing with several divisions. The average age of the salesperson is probably 40. It's a 40 white male. And we're going to do some assessments for them. And there's a lot of conversation around what, how we're going to deliver that. And I said to the, one of the presidents of the divisions, I said, why is there, why does there seem to be so much friction or resistance here? I would think that an, a, a firm that does as much engineering as you do, you'd appreciate data points. Well, Lance, we've really never done this before. So what you're saying is your leadership team has really never given direct feedback to your salespeople. He goes, no, we wound them up and sent them out to the field. And when they sell a lot, we pay them more. So they think they're doing a great job all the time. So I think there has to be that other side with salespeople. If you're just awarding them with compensation, they think they're doing a great job. and You're not giving them any other feedback. You're doing them a disservice and you're doing the company a disservice. I want to I ask you about two things you typically hear. One is a philosophy. If you're doing a good job, you'll, you know, I, I, what's, what's no news is good news. What, what do you think about a manager who operates under a no news is good news approach? Fear. I, the first thing that comes to mind is fear. Yeah, for me, it's lazy. Yeah, lazy or fearful. Like, it, it's two things, right? It really depends, like, how you look at where the manager is. Like, fear that you'll piss the person off, fear that – or just flat-out lazy. I don't have to communicate with right. them. Everything's fine. Sales are up. But, like, that means you're not observing him in other places. Right. Okay. Right? So I'm I'm looking for spots where somebody and, and by the way too, feed the, the the ability or comfort level to give feedback has everything to do with with how much on the other side you gave because I've had I've had leaders say to me at times in my own team I can't believe you get away with saying that I said saying what you're so direct and it doesn't piss them off I go well you didn't see the 14 times that I told them they were doing a great job right. Yeah, right. you, you, if, you earned the right to give that critical right. feedback. So it's not that big of a deal. They know I have their best interests. Like, right. So it's not – coaching isn't just about giving negative feedback. You know, when's the, I heard somebody say – if you – like, I think Vern Harnish said this. Like, when's the last time – Vern Harnish wrote a book called Scaling Up and Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. And I was watching a video of him once, and he goes, you know, if you really want to celebrate something, don't give them a parking place or a plaque. When they succeed at something, ask them how they did it. Right. People love to tell that story. That's like the greatest recognition you can give, right? Let them celebrate. Let them tell their story. But if if you're just going and look at what's wrong, you'll find it. What What's the difference in coaching when you've got – I mean, there's a philosophy about being high-maintenance, high-performing versus being a destructive hero, and nobody's more well-known for that than salespeople. So what what's your coaching philosophy about that? Well, I, th- I think number one is, look, there are people that are managed by exception. Like if you go back to that hockey analogy, right? First liners get more ice time than third liners right? because <laughs> they perform. So there is, is a concept. I mean, the concept is fair, not equal. That's the concept. You'll be treated fairly, but not equally. Once you establish that with people, I want you to think what I'm saying. 
my sons all play ice hockey. The two in co- going to college playing ice hockey. They were taught at a very young age. You'll be treated fairly as a teammate on this team, but you won't get equal playing time. And I think that's the difference. It's fair, not equal, right? And you establish that, and people go, well, that's not fair. You go, no, 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 that's not equal. <laughs> Don't confuse the two concepts. So do some salespeople, better salespeople, get better leads? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put – I'm putting into the person that's going to get me the best odds, right? Um, now, high maintenance – if you got a person that is a high performer, you might decide to deal with that high maintenance. Now, however, let's let's talk about this. You let's talk about a high maintenance person, low performer. I might deal with a high maintenance, high performer at times. I have. I, I've dealt with you, Ed. I'm just kidding, buddy. <laughs> no, you're not. You're <laughs> so, not. I was. I, so, um, I, I, I can be high maintenance. No. Well, question. I mean, but at the same time, but you got a low. You got a. But but what I prefer, I prefer a low maintenance, high performer, right? So you got to kind of look at, do I have a high-maintenance high-performer? Do I got a high-maintenance low-performer? Do I got a high-maintenance mid-performer? And then right down the line, and you just got to look at your resource and say, how many of those people can you deal with, right? Um, my, Mariah Carey has a beautiful voice, but just based off what I watch in the tabloids, it might be tough to manage at times. I don't know how many, how many Mariahs I can deal with or how many Lance Tysons I can deal with, right? I was a very high-maintenance salesperson. I had an opinion. I threw it out there. You could read it on my face. But now one more concept, though, is that person coachable? So that that's the next thing. Um, if you if you met my sons and I guess I've gotten older now, so I, can I have one son named Zachary that is a fantastic listener. If you dealt with him, you go, this kid is coachable, great listener. And you just get mesmerized by him. I have another son named Jarrett. If you coached him, he'd show it on his face, he'd slouch, he'd give you the, the stink eye, all that stuff. Guess what? Zach's the donkey. He's not coachable. He's just a great listener. Jarrett, he would make the change within 24 hours. You want Jarrett, right? I can deal with Jarrett's faces because I, can, I love his execution. So if my sons are listening to this, sorry, boys, we've had this conversation before. Not a surprise. Nope. Not a surprise. You may make the jump between bad cop and good cop as regularly and routinely as anybody I've ever witnessed as a manager. One, I got to see you a lot in managing and coaching others. But the other one is um, just because I saw you didn't mean that you necessarily would do it. But I know you did it with a lot of the people that we had in in the organization. Uh, Was that intuitive or did you learn to do that? Um, I I think, um, well, two things. When, when we say this, I want you to, everybody to know here that most of my people have stayed with me 10 to 15 years. And, and I have people that started from the day they worked out of college and had several opportunities. So we do not have a turnover issue. Right. We force turnover. So we there's a natural attrition that we want at times. But my philosophy and the philosophy we teach in our consulting and our training is to be consistently inconsistent. Now I know you're a lot of you're going to struggle with the concept. Um, it's, it's, I've watched, I guess I watched a lot. I watch my, um, I have some cousins that, that unfortunately their parents had a very ugly divorce and I used to watch them play their parents. And it was, it was masterful. It's wonderful how they could do things. And it was just like, because the parents weren't on the same page and, um, they all grow up to be wonderful people, but I, I, I never want them to know who I am or what I'm thinking, especially salespeople, right? So 
I, I, you don't know what I'm going to come in and saying, right? You don't know what I'm going to inspect. It will be the one time, the one thing you didn't do, right? That I'll end up asking a question about because I approach things inconsistently. So I can turn on and say expectations, but I might in the moment say like, why would you say that? Or, or that's uncomfortable. And like, I'll, I'll do stuff impromptu or extemporaneous. So um, I think over time it's developed, it's backfired on me plenty, but I'm not, I'm not afraid to go there because I don't want to be a walking cliche. We, we need results. The ship needs results. The crew needs to be protected. And, you know, if you're not standing at the top of the bridge and, and making decisions, you're not going to avert the, the iceberg at some level. You've got to be paying attention. All right. What's the one thing? If you can only do one thing to be more effective in giving feedback, performance, uh, appraisal, conversations, what, what would it be, Lance? I, I think I think if the one thing is I would I per if I'm talking about my own business, um, I, I would I would have more scheduled impromptu conversations. I'd be more consistent with it. I still because I, I think that's I have to evolve to grow the business myself. So I can't be Lance, the instructor. I got to be Lance, the CEO. So I would I would be I would orchestrate that better than I do right now. If it was one thing I could do right now where I'd have these unscheduled, scheduled impromptu meetings and feedback with people, I'd do it more consistently than I do. Does being virtual with people and not in the same office make that harder? No, we've been virtual since 2005. So I I think it's even better now because I'm staring right at you. I mean, at least I got 180 degree feedback on this stuff. So I don't think I don't think it makes it harder. I think it I think I have to have more intent or I would suggest more intent and the intent would give the orchestration that it needed. He's Lance Tyson, the CEO of the Tyson Group. He's a good friend. He's my former partner, but uh, I love him dearly. He's he's uh, one of the people that I let coach me and expect to coach me and he routinely does uh lance if people want to get your books reach out to you what's the best way for them to get in touch yeah you can get my you can get my books on amazon at this point um if you want to reach out to me uh linkedin inbox me at lance tyson twitter at lance tyson and uh, uh www.tysongroup.com thanks for joining us as always lance it's never boring and i'm sure you've pushed our audience to think a little bit different about how they give feedback and performance conversations to their folks. Thanks for being with us today on the Ed Epley Experience. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's the Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y, group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills.